everyone. I was waiting for that light to come up. Ta-da! I'm here. Well, I am so proud of you for all of you that have braved the ice to be here live. And look at this house. Yay! So excited. Well, I want to first say thank you to Pastor Jason and Lori for the honor of being able to bring the word today. I do not take it lightly, and I know God has something beautiful to unpack in our hearts. As last week, we studied the power of thoughts. And I just want you to know that that message for me was such a convicting, aligning message. And if you've missed it, please go back and listen to Pastor Jason's message last week because it really will set the tone for where we're going right now in this season as we align our hearts to God and what he thinks from our thoughts, loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, thoughts. He is bringing us to be more like him. So today, I get the honor of unpacking the power of emotions. Now, this is ironic because I am actually not that in tune with my emotions. I am in tune with my happy emotions, but my sad or negative emotions, I push down, I reframe, and I don't really think about them. But I can tell you, in my life, when I look at my reactions, my responses, and choices, I can trace it back to some unhealthy emotions that are deep down that I'm led by. And so we're going to dive in that today. So I want to start with the script. Scripture. And we're going to set the context of this with 1 Samuel 13, 14. And it says this. The Lord, um, sorry. As we do this, the context of the scripture is when prophet Samuel brings a word of correction to King Saul. Because King Saul's, his actions were not aligning with his confessed beliefs. And so prophet Samuel's word of rebuke to Saul was actually referring to David, who God has already set apart as the next king. And so this is a scripture we're going to start with. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, The Lord has found a man after his own heart. How many have heard that scripture before? Yes, it's a very popular scripture. However, it's often misquoted. And this is why. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart. And that describes David well. However, David also had a human heart. A human heart as wicked and corrupt as yours and mine. Now the word heart in Hebrew refers to our physical being, it's our thoughts, our emotions, and our choices. David is a man who wants his thoughts, emotions, and choices to be in line with God's heart. However, David's thoughts, emotions, and choices, like ours, fall short. I want to use two references in Samuel that show us how David was led by his emotions. The first one is 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 to 2. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab and his officers and all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. And we go on to read that this is Bathsheba. Now, David felt very strong emotions. We then to go on to read about David and Bathsheba in this story, and we see that David then acts upon his lust. He follows his heart and his emotion, and pain ensues. 
The second reference of David being led by his heart and emotions is in 1 Samuel 24, 3-4. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they said to him, Look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. In this instance, we see David's action is influenced by the heart of his men. He chooses to please them, the men he is leading, and to follow their heart and their emotions. And once again, David falls short and makes a decision and a choice that does not reflect the heart of God. Now, these two instances are critically powerful to each of us. For firstly, we all have emotions and feelings that influence our choices. And secondly, we all can allow people in our lives to influence us with their feelings and their emotions, and it can influence our choices. Now, facts are knowing what to do. It's black and white, just like the Ten Commandments. However, feelings are the emotions inside of us that lead us to plow through guardrails, plow in through boundaries, convictions, stop signs, and to follow through with things we know we shouldn't do. Like David, just because we have a heart for God doesn't mean our feelings always lead us in the direction towards being more like God and being more like Jesus. Now, when I look at my choices... It's seldom about not knowing the facts. Rather, it is that the facts were drowned in the ocean of what I felt. So what are you led by? What directs your decisions, your actions, your words, and your thoughts? As followers of Jesus, we are called to live by faith and his truth. However, we can choose to live by something else, our feelings and our hearts. And it's so much easier to choose this way because of how we feel. The Bible is quick to tell us that our feelings cannot be trusted because our hearts cannot be trusted. For our hearts are deceitful, wicked, and corrupt. We read about this in many scriptures, but I want to just lay out two of them. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And Jeremiah 17 also goes on to tell us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, have you ever made a decision because it simply just felt right? You can put your hand up. It's okay. All right, good. Has anyone ever said to you, follow your heart? Do what makes you feel happy. Well, our emotions and our feelings are extremely powerful, and they can dictate our reactions to life and direct our every step. If a pathway is not accompanied by what feels nice and safe, we may not choose that way. Now, bear with me as I even just choose a current example that may hit home for some of us. As we've gone through the past couple years, we are rebuilding. And in this season, it can be really, really easy to not 
feel like coming to church and showing up in community. Because perhaps we don't feel like wearing a mask. We don't feel like get ready and coming. It feels comfortable to be home and gives us more time in our day to do what we have planned. We feel like staying home because we've had a long week and can listen to the message later. We can even feel afraid and feel safe and comfortable by remaining at home. We can do many other things, but do not feel like showing up and going to church and being part of community. Well, you know, of course this happens. For the enemy always entices us away from our spiritual disciplines rather than our social schedule, our shopping, our sporting, our personal events and plans because God is calling us back together, church. I want to say that again. God is calling us back together, but the enemy is working ruthlessly every and any way possible to keep us apart. We often give in to the temptation to sin because it feels better than obedience. Even our worship can be regulated by how we feel. If we feel near, if we feel near to God, had a great week, feel victorious, saw answered prayer, we can come and worship with passion and joy. And if not, we can really struggle to worship. We can all take the bait to live by feelings rather than faith and obedience. Now, have you ever doubted your salvation because it didn't feel real? When, have you struggled to believe that God still loves you when you've sinned because you don't feel his love? When we are hurting, when we are so deeply disappointed, the last thing we feel like doing is opening our Bible. The last thing we feel like doing is praying and worshiping and praising. And even when I lead worship, I can feel the tensions of everything around me in this world, in this city, in my relationships, in my family, and I cannot feel like worshiping with joy and with strength and proclaiming the greatness of God. For how can we praise him when so much that is happening in this world is so painful? And perhaps some of you here are walking through a very painful season in your own lives. Well, here are some truths to encourage you today, church. God's word has much to say about our feelings and what living by faith, aligning our hearts and emotions to praise actually looks like. We can even see this as we continue with the character of David. In Psalm 143, 7 to 8, David expresses in this psalm his choice to not allow his emotions to dominate his thinking and response, but instead chooses to focus on the faithfulness of God. I'm going to read this psalm. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like one who goes down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. David here is pleading with God to answer him quickly. He says, my spirit is failing. For waiting on God can be hard. Oh, so hard. When the trials and struggles and unanswered prayer leave us desperate, 
we can feel our spirits failing. And David here was honest about how painful it was for him to wait for God to move. And he asked God to show him his face or he would end up in a pit of despair. He then goes on to tell God that he needed to hear early in the morning of the steadfast love of God so he would have the strength to make it through one other day. And you can hear in this psalm the desperation of David as he's asking God to show him the way to go. He recognizes he could not lead the way. He was lost. His emotions and his feelings would lead him to a dead end. God needed to lead David. Well, today, God wants to encourage each of us to remember his faithfulness. God wants to encourage each of us to remember his faithfulness. Remember the times when you cried out to God and he heard you. He cared for you. He sustained you. He strengthened you. He provided for you and was faithful to you. God is inviting you to remember all that he has done in the past. Your story is not done yet. He is not finished. He is still at work and God is working in a thousand different ways even when you cannot see it. Keep remembering who he is. Keep building your faith on who he promises to be. Keep following the truth of who God is. Moving in the opposite spirit through prayer and praise is where we fight our battles. For we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight in the heavenly realms. And when we do not feel like praying and praising, and we do it anyway, this is victory, and the atmosphere changes in the heavenlies. When we feel alone, abandoned, or unsure of the future, and choose to trust God, will work all things together for our good, we can praise. When we feel defeated, but choose to look to the one who has promised victory through complete restoration and hope that he tells us about at the end of the story in Revelation, we can praise. No matter how dark the world becomes, we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. <laughs> He is the prize, and the prize of being with him in the kingdom come, we can praise. Say, I will praise. Amen. Amen. For when we praise, we will pray, hope, and believe with eyes of faith, not with natural eyes. For we are victorious and free, even if the outside looks the opposite. However, we can choose at the end of the day to choose to live by our emotions and feelings or to follow and align to these truths, the truth of who God is and what his word says. Now, as a pastor, my assignment, my anointing, and my call is to continually focus our attention to a singular point, which is this, to ask ourselves, Am I being led by Jesus or am I being led by my feelings and emotions or the feelings and emotions of others? Now, I'm going to share a story here, and this is a little bit more lighthearted. Okay, we're going to take a little bit of a valve of reliefs here. Okay, so if you know me well, you will know that I am a crazy dog lover, like Pastor Jay, we love our dogs. If you come into my office, I actually have pictures of my dogs 
on my shelf. I'm not joking. So I often say I have four children. Two are hairy and two are human. I love my dogs. So I'm going to take you back to set up the story about following my emotions and my feelings and how it led me dreadfully astray. When I was young, I have always loved dogs. And we didn't grow up with a dog when I was little. And I always wanted a dog. Always. So I begged my parents for a dog. Begged them. I wanted a puppy so bad. And in a moment of just probably being frustrated with me asking over and over, my dad just casually said, if you can fast and not watch TV for one year, we'll get you a dog. Well, signed, sealed, and delivered. I'm on that. I signed that contract in my heart. I am on it. So for one year, I did not watch TV. Now, I am 12. This is a big deal, 12 years old. The only TV I could watch was on movie night at our home. So I'm going to bring you back into the 80s, into the Krebs household. Movie night was an awesome night at our house because the pizza would show up in the Pepsi, yes, takeout pizza, and a rented VCR. Yes, we did not own in those days electronics the same as we do now. A rented VCR. So my parents would show up with a pizza and almost like a suitcase with the rented VCR and a video. And that's what we'd watch. So that was the only TV I got for a year. So my 13th birthday is coming. And I am so excited. It'd be like now when you watch those YouTube videos and you see the unveiling of the puppy and everyone's crying. I felt that way back then. I was so excited. The doorbell rings. It's on my birthday. And I know what this is. I've been cutting out German Shepherd puppies for about six months getting ready for my puppy. Okay, so I walked to the door. We'll probably ran to the door. I am about to open the door. And please do not be offended if you own this type of dog but I was picturing a German Shepherd puppy. I open the door, and here in front of me is a white poodle with two pink bows dancing around in a little circus trick, and her name was Buffy. <laughs> this was my puppy. Okay, well, it ended up being a good family dog, actually my dad's dog, loved the dog. So when I got engaged to Jay, I said, Jay, my whole life, I've wanted a puppy. So I just want you to know, when we buy our first house, I'm getting a puppy. So let's fast forward three years. I have studied the encyclopedia of dog breeds. I've got this dog chosen. I am on it. She's a big dog, beautiful dog. We went to the breeder. We move into our house. The next day, I pick up our puppy past Montreal. Love this dog. Named her Jetta after our first, our first car. She becomes my heart for 12 years. I love this dog. And as you know, older dogs lose their hips, and then it was a sad day. Jetta, the end of her life had come, and I am devastated. So now with Jetta gone, I'm trying to fill my heart. So here's where being led by your emotions and feelings can lead you in a bad path. Jay went to work. I happened to stumble upon an article of a breeder with new puppies. I hopped into that car put cash in my wallet. I showed up, held a four-week-old puppy in my arms, longing, Jetta had just left, and I was thinking, this will be a perfect replacement, the worst dog for our family. This was a terrible mix, a terrible idea. And guess what I did? I put all the money down and bought that dog right on the spot. 
Four weeks later, that dog showed up. Needless to say, we found that dog a wonderful new home, and the dog is doing well. But it was a very, very emotional experience. I was led by my heart from something deep down I had longed, but I did it in a way that was very painful, actually being really painful for our family and so sad. Now, I know that's kind of a light story here, but has anyone else ever been led by your heart and made a mistake looking back? Okay, good. How about has anyone here been led by someone else and looking back, it was a mistake to follow their heart and emotions. Yes, we all are in the same company. We can be led by our hearts and emotions. The beautiful thing is Jesus knows what it is to have every feeling for he walked this earth. He laid aside his divinity and took on human form. So let's anchor ourselves now in the example of Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14 to 15 tells us this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin." What an encouragement that in our weaknesses, Jesus sympathizes. However, he does not just sympathize with us, but he will do what only he can do, as it says in Ezekiel 36, 26. If we allow him to move in our hearts, he will give us a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God created us with emotions. They are his idea. What a comfort to know this. God is not asking us to deny that we have emotions or feelings. Do we have emotions of what's happening around us? Even as we're talking about the Ukraine, as we're looking at our world, do we have emotions? Yes, yes, a thousand times over, and we should. We should feel these emotions. They've been given as a gift to us. To be in, but to be in tune with them, we have to create a place where our hearts are aligned to God. For we've been made in his image. He wants us to have compassion, tenderness, to cry with one another, to be moved to mercy and acts of kindness. For the scriptures are filled with emotions. But emotions are there to steward, not dominate and lead. We will grieve, we will mourn, we'll be discouraged, fearful, angry, frustrated, we'll feel weary and hopeless. And God is not asking us to deny, but to surrender our emotions to him and his word. We have an enemy who customizes each and every temptation to match where he wants our feelings to lead us beyond the truth of God's word. For you, Which temptation of lust, anger, greed, jealousy, guilt, identity, and compassion desires to lead your heart? Let's chat a little bit about these temptations. Lust and desire is a voice that says, it is an appetite you manage, not a problem you solve. Guilt is a voice that says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. Jealousy says, God owes me. Greed says, I owe me. Identity says, based on the sole authority of me, this is who I am. And compassion 
is so powerful. However, there is an intense temptation that desires to lead our hearts to an unhealthy place without the chaperones of of confession and conviction. Now, Jesus never said we need to be set free from our feelings. So how did Jesus set the example of how to not follow what he was feeling? Jesus placed his followership higher than his feelings. I'm going to say that again. Jesus placed his followership in his Father higher than his feelings. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 38. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 4, 34. When David was alone with Bathsheba, as we referred to at the beginning of this message, she was vulnerable and then violated. When the woman of the well was alone with Jesus, she was also vulnerable, but restored. When pressure pushed in on Jesus to use his power to overthrow Rome, he never cut the edge of Rome's garment like David did to Saul. No, he sowed seeds, seeds in the heart of humanity that would change the world forever. Jesus wept. He, was la- he laughed. He was angry. He danced. He was tired. He lived a life full of emotions. But Jesus placed his fellowship in his Father higher than his feelings. Expressed differently, this is how we can say it. Jesus was often moved by compassion, but only lived from a place of conviction. Compassion for others is extremely powerful, but if compassion is not rooted in something greater, it lacks the ability to transform. As I close, let's briefly unpack the story of Jesus as he responds from not just a heart of compassion, but from a place of conviction to bring the woman caught in adultery that we read about in John 8 to a place of transformation. This is the story. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher said to him, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. We see here that they had the law, but love utterly wrong. We go on to read, Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. In this moment, we see law and love. And now we will see grace. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go from now on and sin no longer. 
with compassion. Jesus removes the shame surrounding this woman. And Jesus here upholds all aspects of the law and love. With grace and truth, he invites the woman to not only experience forgiveness, but freedom by sinning no longer. We see here the expression of God's heart for humanity caught in sin or in the sin of others. For feelings are very powerful. Emotions are vital. Yet they are not to be the leaders of our heart. Instead, they are the revealers of what is taking place inside. David was a man after God's own heart, but sometimes his heart led to destructive destinations. Jesus was a man who showed us the true heart of God. And though not always pleasant, those that followed him were always led to a divine destination. One where all things, even hearts of stone, can be made abundantly new. And that is the promise today. We're going to enter into a time of communion in just a moment. But before we do, I've asked Ketchy to come back and to sing this song, New Wine, that we would just allow this time to be a moment of prayer to say, God, give me a new heart. Put your spirit within me. Align me to your truth and to your word. I need you.